Thank you for listening to the Coal Mind Podcast. This is David Cole from Dallas, Texas, and it's September 8, 2021. A provocative editorial in today's Boston Globe argues that a United States Supreme Court case from several years ago about the delegation of governmental zoning power to a church may be instructive in review of our new Texas abortion law under the United States Constitution and its separation of powers type provisions. The analysis in that article suggests that Grindel's Den could also be a useful guide to application of our Texas Constitution, which may well provide additional protection against the impermissible delegation of state power to private actors. The Texas Heartbeat Act took effect on September 1, 2021, after a series of challenges in federal court were rejected, ultimately by the U.S. Supreme Court the week before, largely on procedural grounds. The innovative feature of the statute, and the main reason why the federal courts declined to intervene, was that the statute does not appoint any particular government official to enforce the law. Roe v. Wade, of course, was against Henry Wade, our district attorney here in Dallas County. The Heartbeat Act, on the other hand, essentially deputizes the entire state. By and large, the state statute allows anyone in the state, even if they are not personally connected to or affected by an abortion, bring a lawsuit to collect a $10,000 fine. That feature has been widely criticized as encouraging vigilantism. It is definitely a new and different way of applying this kind of regulation to an abortion provider, and frankly, to any exercise of a constitutional right. In today's Boston Globe, Harvard constitutional law professors Lawrence Tribe and David Rosenberg review the case of Larkin v. Grindel's Den from the Supreme Court in 1982. Grindel's Den is a popular restaurant and bar in the Harvard Square area near the Harvard University campus in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and a Cambridge zoning ordinance essentially gave a local church veto power over whether or not Grendel's Den could conduct its business. Specifically, the ordinance in that case said that premises located within a radius of 500 feet of a church or school shall not be licensed for the sale of alcoholic beverages if the governing body of such church or school files written objection thereto. The Supreme Court, 8-1, to future Chief Justice William Rehnquist, the lone dissenter, reviewed the state of First Amendment religious establishment law at that time, concluded that the law went a step too far. Much of the opinion deals with issues unique to the Establishment Clause of the Constitution and the case law of the time about its limits and its guarantees, but the conclusion of the opinion, and what's noted in the op-ed piece, is as follows. Section 16c, title of the law, substitutes the unilateral and absolute power of a church for the reasoned decision-making of a public legislative body acting on evidence and guided by standards on issues with significant economic and political implications. That leads me to Article 2, Section 1 of the Texas Constitution. Here, I rely on an article written back in 1990 by Professor Hal Bruff, then of the University of Texas, went on to become dean of the law school at the University of Colorado, a respected scholar of administrative law, the law governing administrative agencies. The present Texas Constitution was enacted in 1876. The provision about separation of powers was brought forward earlier versions of the Constitution running back to 1836. They, in turn, ran back to ideas in the Federalist Papers and even Mexican governing documents that predated the founding of Texas as a state. The political environment in Texas and other southern states in 1876 was very different than that surrounding the drafting of the U.S. Constitution in the late 18th century. 
Professor Bruff points out that there was a great deal of discontent with perceived corruption in the national government of the time, and just having emerged from Reconstruction, the southern states were skeptical about centralized power and eager to avoid centralization of government where they could. The result in Texas has been a notoriously awkward document. The officer of governor is quite weak compared to other governors in similar sized states around the country. Our legislature only sits every other year unless there is a special session. And there are a number of other restrictions such as this. Article 2, titled The Powers of Government, has only one subpart, Section 1, titled Separation of Powers of Government Among Three Departments. The powers of the government of the state of Texas shall be divided into three distinct departments, each of which shall be confided to a separate body of magistracy, to wit, those which are legislative to one, those which are executive to another, and those which are judicial to another, and no person or collection of persons being of one of these departments shall exercise any power properly attached to either of the others, except in the instances herein expressly permitted." There is no similar provision in the U.S. Constitution, although obviously there is a structure in which there are three separate branches of government. The main purpose of this section is plainly to ensure that each branch of government stays in its lane, that the people who comprise a particular branch of government, in the language of the clause, the person or collection of persons being of one of these departments, don't do things they shouldn't do, that courts don't do legislative things, so on and so forth. But the structure of this section speaks volumes as well. The power of the government is placed in one specific place, within certain departments. Those departments are comprised of the people who work for them. Necessarily, then, government is not comprised of of individuals and entities that are not one of the three distinct departments, and persons or collections of persons who are not employed by or associated with those departments cannot exercise governmental functions either. It is a separation of powers provision among the three branches of government But in order to state that, necessarily, this clause means that government powers can only be exercised by these three branches and the individuals who are of one of those departments in the language of the provision. Where does this provision stand today? Uncertain. It has been litigated in cases about administrative law and other separation of powers issues among the branches of state government over the years. But this provision in our new Texas abortion statute is novel. The mechanism in it has not received a great deal of litigation in Texas or any other court in the land, for that matter, which means the language of this section is sort of underdeveloped by court precedent. In some ways, it's fitting that to look to a new law, our Heartbeat Act, that enters what commentators have called uncharted waters, we would return to an old constitutional provision that, while it's been on the books a long time, is itself a bit of uncharted waters. The question that this Texas constitutional provision poses is, is it permissible under the structure of state government defined in our 1876 constitution, one that was intended to be skeptical of central power and to limit the control of central power, does it foreclose this kind of mass deputizing of potentially millions of plaintiffs across the state to engage in conduct that unquestionably has a negative effect potentially a dispositive effect on the exercise of a right that is protected by the U.S. Constitution. The question doesn't have a lot of guidance in the cases, but it's an important and a fundamental question about our state government, and it deserves scrutiny as courts continue to examine the Heartbeat Act. Today on Coal Mind, we examined the Texas Heartbeat Act in light of a 
recent op-ed piece by professors Lawrence Tribe and David Rosenberg of Harvard Law School discussing a 1980s establishment of religion case from the U.S. Supreme Court. That court contained a warning about the delegation of government powers to private actors, and if we review our state constitution of 1876, we see a provision that, while it doesn't directly address that issue, appears to strongly speak to it indirectly. The guidance of that provision is something that we should consider carefully as we examine the uncharted waters we have entered with the new provisions of this Texas statute. I appreciate you listening, and I look forward to sharing with you again soon. 